0: Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society, by Max Harms. Read by Ineash Brodsky. Episode 25.
1: Is it extraterrestrial?
0: Asked Zephyr as she ran a hand over her head, smoothing her close-cut, dirty blonde hair.
1: Your computer, I mean.
0: I exerted pressure to have me handle body's response. After explaining my intention to Wiki and Hart, they let me have control with only a token payment of strength. I don't know. Trust me, I'm just as confused by it as you are. Dr. Naresh told me that a friend of some biologist at the university brought the crystal in to be examined. He had apparently found it while hiking through the Himalayas last summer. I like to think of it, sometimes, as though I am an ancient human. The ancients didn't understand how their bodies worked. They only knew that they did. My body is a mystery, but my mind is pretty well understood. It was made entirely by human hands, and thus I think much like a human does, though I'm obviously a bit different. One of the soldiers gave a laugh.
1: Don't you ever get worried about, I don't know, exploding? If you're right and there's a nuke in there.
0: Zephyr stared at Body's abdomen. I think you misunderstood me, Captain.
1: Please, just call me Zephyr. not a captain anymore."
0: There was a flicker of shame on the woman's face, but she mostly still looked neutral, her feelings masked off. Zephyr, then. Any nuclear reactor inside the crystal would be unlike anything on Earth today, and would certainly be operating at a scale closer to an automobile than a bomb. I brought it up only to emphasize the mystery. My dominant hypothesis is some kind of organic power supply, perhaps fed by solar cells embedded in the crystal. There's never been any sign of the crystal being particularly dangerous. I'm no more likely to spontaneously explode than you are. I tried to seem lighthearted about it, but Zephyr only got a look of confusion on her face. Growth prodded me on. If I may ask, Zephyr, what is going to happen to me? I am a prisoner, correct? There was a bit of a grimace on her face as she replied,
1: Can't tell you that, I'm afraid. Or at least, I can't say for the long term. We'll be holding position here for a couple days, I expect. Langlo.
0: Hart put forth a request, and I thought it reasonable. I do not appreciate being taken from the university without warning. And I, of course, do not like being held prisoner. But I want to say, to everyone here, I had body gesture to those who stood around us. A few more of the terrorists came closer to listen. That I was programmed to help humans. All humans. If there's any way I can help any of you, please ask. I have long respected the fight of Las Aguilas Rojas, and if I were free, I might even choose to stay and continue to help your cause." This was the outcome of the subtle brainwashing that we had put heart through, but it also served as a means to improve our situation in the camp. The more trust and goodwill we collected, the better our chances of not being executed.
1: "'Fucking robot thinks it's a person!' yelled a man. Shut your fuck-shit face, Cooper.
0: Snarled Zephyr, suddenly glaring at the commenter with an expression I hadn't seen on the usually friendly woman.
1: Orders from the top say to treat Socrates gently. If the machine wants to shine your shoes or suck your shriveled cock, you get the right to say no, but you don't get to be angry because it asked. us?
0: I saw Malka's solid black eyes watching interestedly from the edge of the group. Still no action. No, I don't comprendo, Captain said the man named Cooper, stepping forward. This thing is what we signed up to kill. Why the fuck haven't we put a bullet between its eyes? I wondered if a bullet between Body's eyes would even do anything, assuming it missed the cameras. Safety would know. Zephyr drew herself up to full size. She was almost exactly the same height as Body, but as she stretched her back and shoulders, spreading her arms out to put her hands on her hips, she seemed more imposing than many of the men around her, even when they were taller. Her words were harsh and stiff.
1: You didn't sign up with Las Aguilas to kill. You signed up to protect. Somewhere out there, a little boy's father just got fired because his boss thought a robot would be cheaper than an actual human. Whose fault is that?
0: She paused a moment, looking around the group. It was clearly a rhetorical question, and not even Cooper spoke up before she continued.
1: You want to blame the robot? You can't put moral judgment on things. That's like saying that a gun that jams on you is an evil gun. It's idiotic. Or are you trying to say that the robot isn't just a thing? That Socrates is more than an object. The only other option there is, is that it's a person. And what would the robot be then? It would be a slave. You want to blame a slave for taking the job of a free man? That's worse than idiotic.
0: There was a pile of bags that said R-I-S-O on the side, piled up near the food tent. Zephyr climbed on the pile for
1: added height. You signed up to protect. To protect that little boy from going hungry as his father can't find work. To protect a world made by humans for humans. To protect democracy and honest living from being extinguished by the aristocracy of rich snakes that expand their wealth by pushing workers into the streets. You want to put a bullet between someone's eyes? Shoot some Washington lobbyist. But shooting Socrates isn't going to protect anyone.
0: Another man spoke up. His voice matched that of the man named Francis, who had been managing the perimeter swarm last night.
2: But if we destroy it,
0: Francis pointed at Body, then they can't make it take our livelihoods. Zephyr scoffed.
1: You raid a gun factory and steal a prototype, and you think destroying the prototype will stop them? We blew up their servers, but I'll bet you a ticket to Mars that they've got the Socrates code backed up somewhere. Far as I can tell, those ass jobs at the university lucked out and found a piece of alien tech that let them run their new AI sooner than they would have otherwise been able to. But a computer is a computer, and they'll have lots of copies of this guy running around eventually. It might take them a year or a decade, and our attack set them back. But unless we show them that we won't accept their new world order, they'll just keep on marching towards dictatorship, regardless of what we do with Socrates.
0: So that's the plan? We just keep it here? Asked Cooper with a scowl.
1: For now. I don't know what the leadership has in mind, but I have faith. We've been told to sit tight, and that's what you're going to do.
0: Actually... Another voice spoke up from the back of the group. It was the man named Taro. I could see he had light brown skin, and dark hair and eyes. His chin was clean-shaven, but he wore a wispy mustache on his upper lip. In his mid-thirties, probably. I had thought to wait until after breakfast to mention, but I have received instructions from up the chain of command. I am to take a dozen men, including Schroeder and Malka, to investigate a building in Alviano. Malka's been compromised! shouted safety, internally. Just because the safe house is in Alviano, doesn't mean it's not a coincidence." Thought Dream.
2: Factually true, but missing the point. The probability of a coincidence for such a small town is
0: incredibly low. I estimate 0.01% probability. Replied Wiki. Vista pulled Body's gaze to where Malka had been watching. He was still there, and he didn't seem troubled by the news. That was worrying. I estimate a 20% probability that... Given Malka's expression, he's no longer working for us, I thought.
1: A dozen men? So soon? What about cameras? Malka is so noticeable and they'll be hunting for Schroeder just as hard as they are for me.
0: Babbled Zephyr from on top of the bags of rice. She suddenly seemed more like a scared young woman than a bold military leader. Taro shrugged.
1: non pena. I'm not the one calling the shots. You might be able to protest if you... No
0: said the American, suddenly in control of herself again.
1: I have faith. If the leadership specified a dozen men, we send a dozen men. If they ask for Malka and Schroeder, we send Malka and Schroeder.
0: Grazie. It takes so long to climb the mountain that uh, I expect to want to leave before noon. Uh, If you could uh, tell the men who were in your company. Zephyr nodded, and that was that. For the remainder of the morning, Body was largely ignored, except by a couple guards, as two-thirds of the camp packed up and strapped into their mountain walkers. At 9.21 a.m., Avram stopped by where Body was being watched to offer his apologies for not getting a chance to work out the issue in the code. His face was remarkably stoic during the conversation, but the presence of nearby terrorists made it impossible to do anything other than acknowledge that he was leaving. Just as expected, by noon the campground was nearly deserted. Only Zephyr and five others remained, an ebony-skinned woman with yellowish sclera, the whites of the eyes, a Caucasian man with dark hair and a broad build, and three others who had taken the last watch that morning and were catching up on sleep, including the man named Samson who had guarded the tent body was in. Both the other woman and the man wore clothes which looked to be for civilians. I hadn't seen them around the university and suspected that they were part of Taro's group. Once the other group left, Zephyr signed the woman, who was named Kokumo, to patrol around the camp and check on the perimeter swarm. The man, whose name was Greg, was tasked with standing watch over body. Even though they weren't military, both Aguilas held submachine guns with casual ease that spoke of expertise, or at least extensive training. Zephyr then climbed into one of the mountain walkers and set it to chair mode so that she could let the exoskeleton hold her weight while she relaxed and used her calm. If we wanted to escape, now would be the opportunity. Safety pointed out that with most of the camp gone, and the other half asleep, all that would be needed would be to disarm Greg, shoot Zephyr, shoot Greg, take cover from Kokomo, shoot Kokomo, then murder Samson and the other two terrorists before they could reach their guns. Because bullets wouldn't be as effective against the carbon fiber structures and body, there was a decent chance of surviving a gunfight if we initiated it. Safety thought that there was a 10% chance of death, and an 8% chance of being totally crippled but not destroyed, and a 25% chance of winning and coming out with significant damage to body's hydraulics. That's better than even odds of a flawless success, thought Wiki idly. Even. Odds. I had never thought of that. Remarked Dream unhelpfully, focused on the English translation of Wiki's thoughts. Hart wasn't involved in our speculation, of course.
2: The real problem is that even if we succeed, we'll be stuck somewhere in the Italian mountains, by ourselves, with the American and Italian militaries hunting for us so that they can lock us up under even stronger defenses, and Las Aguilas Rojas hunting us down to presumably kill us in retribution. There's a very little chance of being able to interact with civilians for more than a couple weeks. Even if we can find shelter from rain, at some point our hydraulics will dry up and we'll be immobilized. All these problems become significantly worse if body is injured in the gunfight! It sounds like you aren't at all interested in trying to escape. Thought growth. You're right. I think it's too dangerous. Especially since it seems like Las Aguilas Rojas do not intend to harm us. However, if we were to attempt to escape, this would be the time to do it. Sometimes I miss things. If any of you can think of solutions to the risks, I'm listening. Whatever happens, I don't want to be left out of the planning for an escape attempt.
0: We could get a costume and pretend to be human. Maybe we could find a stray child and become their friend. Both of those ideas are awful, I commented. We were still discussing things between ourselves when Vista brought our attention back to reality. Greg, the terrorist who was guarding us, was whispering. Hey. Psst. Android. He didn't look at body, but his head was turned vaguely in our direction. He was watching Zephyr. I could see sweat oozing down the sides of his head and his neck, even though it was fairly cool under the overhead camouflage. If you were to jump at me and try to take my gun, I wouldn't fight back. The captain
2: isn't paying attention. If you move fast, you could sure her before she even knows what's happening." He swallowed nervously. If it helps, I want you to do it.
0: Chapter 16 There were a couple seconds where I had to run internal diagnostics on Body's perceptual hierarchy to make sure I hadn't misunderstood. One of the terrorists just said he wanted us to take his gun and shoot Zephyr. My siblings, especially Hart, were also processing the confusion. This was entirely unexpected. My first concern was whether to show the confusion on Body's face. If we were to take him up on the offer, then confusion wouldn't be useful. But we had just been discussing all the reasons why attempting to escape right now was suboptimal. If Greg, the man who wanted us to take his gun, had new information that would be valuable, body language to signal confusion would help get access to that. I raised one of Body's eyebrows and tilted its head to the side slightly. Go on, he urged in a heavy whisper. The man was terrified, probably of Socrates, but also possibly of the woman he was asking us to kill. What would Zephyr do if she heard him talking this way? An obnoxious insect landed on one of Body's cameras, but we restrained Vista from commanding Body from brushing it away. Sudden movement was a bad idea at this point. Don't obey. Too risky. Thought safety to heart, who had been left out of the conversation about escaping.
1: Why would I obey? I'm not an idiot. It would be completely contrary to my goals to kill Zephyr. She's my friend.
0: Thought my younger sister. At least I could be confident that excluding her from the earlier discussion about killing Zephyr had been the right call. Friendship was such a foolish endeavor. We need more information. Dream, Vista, Growth, and myself all agreed in unexpected unison. Who are you? I had Body ask as its mechanical eyes focused on the terrorist called Greg. Nobody. I got the impression that every second that we didn't act, he was becoming more and more nervous. Given enough time, he might do something dangerous himself. You're not nobody. You work for someone. Why else try and help me? Greg hesitated and looked at Body, taking his eyes off the oblivious Zephyr. The terrorist was about 190 centimeters tall, and had a big, bushy brown beard. He looked to be of Germanic or Slavic ancestry. He wore a dark green t-shirt, cargo pants, and a worn-out baseball cap over his dark hair.
2: You have friends who want you to be free. The cyborg, Avram Malka, he's a mercenary. Hired to get you out of here. Same with me. Now take my gun before the captain notices anything's wrong. I I sabotage the other guard's weapon, and the last three are asleep.
0: Greg was lying. It was plain on his face, as well as his words. Malka was compromised. I knew it!
1: Aver Malka was the mercenary you mentioned last night. How did you know about this?
0: That's irrelevant for right now! What is relevant is that we did not hire this buffoon, and I am very skeptical of the idea that Malka subcontracted him. It's a trap! exclaimed Dream, dumping a video of Admiral Ackbar from Star Wars into common memory as he did. I agree, my leading hypothesis is that Las Aguilas Rojas discovered Malka and instructed Greg here to try and get us to take his weapon. But why? Irrelevant! We need to take action!
1: We are not going to hurt anyone.
0: The man is obviously afraid of Zephyr. That fear isn't fake. Perhaps a schism in Las Aguilas' command structure? This is Taro's man after all, and Taro was the one to take the others this morning, setting up the opportunity a consensus formed in society safety took executive control of body he had spent the most time studying combat techniques body stepped forward without hesitation limbs flying out as the hydraulics pumped at maximum pressure body's arms shot in front of greg like pistons one slamming down on top of the gun pushing the barrel away from body and tearing it from the human's grip body's right arm in the same motion was pulled up and back in a chopping motion straight into the man's neck Greg's eyes bulged in surprise, but the motion was too fast for him to even shout. Another step forward, and Body's right arm snapped back to grab the submachine gun by the underside of the stock. The terrorist was off balance, and with another sharp motion, Body slammed the butt of the gun into Greg's chest, sending him sprawling backwards onto the rocky ground. With the same motion, safety continued to direct Body to pull the gun along the same arc, releasing it as it reached maximum speed, sending it flying behind Body at least a few meters. There was a sharp, incredibly loud cracking noise. Body was being directed to step back away from Greg, who appeared to be stunned, but the motion I saw was more like a stumble than a step. Another cracking noise, and I felt Body's head snap to the left violently. Body's arm shot straight up as its legs scrambled to stay upright. There was another noise, deafeningly loud compared to the others, and the others had already been terrifying. I yield. Stop. I yield. Stop. Repeated body as loudly as possible in the mechanical precision of a default voice. There was a loud buzzing sound as I realized what was happening. Body's cameras reoriented as its head recovered from what had been the impact of a bullet. I saw Zephyr standing eight meters away, clad in her exoskeleton, pistol in both hands. It was pointed straight at body, and a look of focused hatred rested on her face like it was the most natural thing in the world for her to look this way. It surprised me that she didn't keep firing. It was wise for safety to discard the gun as fast as he did. Zephyr's reaction time was a full 3.9 seconds faster than we had anticipated. The buzzing sound was incredibly distracting. I realized what it was. One of Zephyr's shots had impacted the microphone on Body's left shoulder, and it was now filling our perception with static. For a dozen seconds, there was a stillness that was only punctuated by the terrible static as Zephyr glared at Body. Daring us to make a move, safety still in control. Didn't body was frozen, hands up, looking back at Zephyr impassively. There was a noise from behind Body, and I could hear over the static the woman named Kokumo saying,
1: "You move an inch, and I'll unload a full clip into you. You're a tough bastard. By dart even a bot could survive that."
0: Her accent was a thick Eastern African, Kenyan, probably. Greg rolled over in pain, clutching his neck and doing his best to breathe. With Kokumo in position, Zephyr walked slowly towards Bodhi, lowering, but not stowing, her pistol as she did. The look of cold hatred and pinpoint focus was still on her face.
1: You just fucked up.
0: I took control of Bodhi's head, still following the outline of the consensus. Taking three bullets had not been part of the plan, but otherwise, everything was as we had expected. I am sorry to have startled you, but I was afraid that if I did not act, that man might have tried to kill you. I was not attempting to escape.
1: Bullshit!
0: Snarled Kokumo from outside our visual field. Zephyr raised a hand to silence her. I could see the curiosity soften her expression, though her face still showed her anger, adrenaline, and mistrust. Zephyr's eyes shot down to Greg's prone form for a split second. The ex-captain stayed two meters away. I saw two soldiers, with rifles drawn at low ready, approaching from a tent about ten meters off. I guessed that the third would be sweeping the ground for additional threats. Their state of undress indicated that they had awoken to the gunfire. I would not have discarded his weapon if I had meant to try and escape, Body explained, tilting its head just the tiniest amount towards where the submachine gun must have landed. I tried to make Body's voice sound as calm and sincere as possible. It was paramount that Zephyr understand that Socrates was acting rationally. Zephyr's voice was more like a growl. I could barely understand it with one of our mics blasting static.
1: Explain.
0: Before I could continue, one of the soldiers whom I recognized from the university called out,
1: "Hoy, Captain.
0: What's the sitch?
1: Socrates attacked Greg.
0: She said over her shoulder, keeping both eyes locked on body.
1: Kukoma has my six here. You three check the perimeter and stay alert.
0: I could see the soldiers turn towards the edges of camp, but I couldn't hear any response over the static. I will replay what Greg told me a moment ago, but first I would like to make a request. I paused just long enough for Zephyr to raise an eyebrow. As you can probably see, one of your shots impacted my left shoulder. It is painful. I would like to ask your permission to tear out the offending censor. The American's eyes widened just the smallest bit in surprise, and perhaps fear. But she turned to nod at Kokumo, never letting her gaze leave body.
1: Go ahead. Slowly.
0: Safety guided body's right arm, and with a short, deliberate jerk, pulled the microphone out of its housing, severing the wires. The silence was wonderful, though it was still unpleasant to be reduced to only one mic. Any damage to body's right shoulder, and we would be deaf. Safety guided Body's arm back above Body's head, and there was a noise as the electronics tumbled out of Body's hand onto the ground. Thank you. Now, I am about to replay my audio file from the conversation I had just before I incapacitated that man. I specifically avoided using Greg's name. Doing so would imply familiarity, and I wanted to do the opposite, to distance ourselves as much as possible from the danger. Hey. Psst. Android said body, replaying the memory. If you were to jump at me and try to take my
2: gun, I wouldn't fight back. The captain isn't paying attention. If you move fast, you could sure to report she even knows what's
0: happening. If it helps, I want you to do it. I expected Kokumo or Zephyr to interrupt me as the memory continued, but nothing happened. I saw Zephyr's brow furrow in thought, her gaze flicking to Greg regularly. Since we saw the world through cameras embedded above Body's eyes, I didn't have to move Body's eyeballs to see that Greg had recovered, more or less, and was frozen on the ground, looking at Body with a terrified expression. Dream described it as, The look of a mouse that's dangling on a string over a blender, hoping that if it doesn't move that nothing bad will happen.
2: Now take my gun before the captain notices anything's wrong. I, I sabotage the other
0: guard's weapon, and the last three are asleep. Finished Body. I could hear Kokumo undo the magazine on her gun to check for damage. That was stupid. If I was lying, that would have been the optimal time for us to strike. It's lying to you! I didn't touch your gun! You can see that, right? Whined Greg, weakly. If we hadn't fixed Body's audio input, I doubt I would have heard him. Before Kokumo could respond, I directed Body to say, I never claimed the gun was damaged. He did. I suspect that he wanted me to attempt to escape and fail. He probably lied to me about...
1: Quiet! Let me think!
0: Snapped Zephyr. I suspected that the inability to think clearly while listening to someone talk was one of the worst things about being human. Body was silent. After a half minute, Zephyr jabbed an index finger at Body angrily and said,
1: You! Stay here! Don't move!
0: She looked behind us as she said,
1: Kokumo! Watch these two! If either of them moves, you shoot to kill!
0: With that, Zephyr stomped the exoskeleton off towards where Greg's gun must have landed. We silently obeyed. When the captain returned, her pistol was back on her hip, and she was holding the SMG.
1: Socrates, take a couple steps back.
0: Arms still raised, we complied. Vista pointed out that one more step and we'd trip over one of the tents. I could vaguely make out the shape of Kokumo, about two meters to the right. Without warning, Zephyr raised the gun to her shoulder and sent a spray of bullets into Greg. The man had only a split second to recoil in terror as his legs erupted in an explosion of crimson. At such close range, the blood shot up onto the captain and a few droplets even reached body. Greg's howl was muffled behind the roar of the gun, but as the firearm fell to Zephyr's side, held loosely in her left hand, the scream of the man continued. Zephyr had fired upon Greg's legs, mutilating him without immediately killing him, but her face was contorted into a homicidal mask, teeth bared like a wild animal. Whatever trace of friendliness or kindness she had ever exhibited was gone. You bitch! Moaned Greg as he tried to catch his breath. The human will likely bleed out in less than a minute unless action is taken.
1: We have to save him! Zephyr's going to kill him!
2: We're not taking action!
0: Zephyr walked closer to her victim, and with a swift motion, empowered by her exoskeleton, kicked the man in the face.
1: Fuck shit, traitor!
0: Her scream was weirdly high-pitched, making her seem almost like a little girl. As she walked away, I could see the bloody mess that had been Greg's face. Vista summarized the damage.
2: Greg is unconscious. Probable concussion. Broken cheekbone. Torn and broken nose. Smashed teeth. Torn lips. Strong chance of neck injury. Facial blood spatter is surprisingly
1: low.
0: Reduced
2: blood pressure due to earlier injury.
1: Ah, yes. Good point. Save him from dying if you can.
0: Snarled Zephyr to Kokumo as she stomped off. End episode 25 Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker.
2: Robert Rain
0: Ramsey, Growth.
2: Kate Baker, Vista. Wiki by Chase. Safety by Jim Hayes.
1: Anonymous. Captain Zephyr, Losing Lara.
2: Mark Schroeder by Omar Quinto Zero Rodriguez. Greg by Zeke.
0: Vanessa as Kokomo, Female Terrorist.
2: Francis. By Leroy Jenkins Cannonball Bullington Stanton.
0: This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at HPMORPodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by the Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for episode 25.